0: Are you looking for practical ministry help to inform and inspire your leadership? Do you have a sinking feeling that your ministry training didn't prepare you for the real world? Hey, you're not alone. Join thousands of other leaders in pursuit of stuff you wish they taught in seminary. Welcome to the Unseminary Podcast, presented by CDF Capital, helping churches grow. Visit them at cdf.capital forward slash unseminary.
1: Hey, friends, welcome to the Unseminary podcast. So glad that you have decided to tune in. Uh, Today, we've got a great episode. You know, every week we try to bring you someone who will both inspire and equip you. And today is no exception. Excited to have Ken Nash with us. Uh, He's a pastor, lead pastor at uh, Cornerstone Church. This is a multi-site church in Michigan that's experienced incredible growth over these last 30 plus years. It's one of the fastest growing churches in the country, multi-site, like we said. Uh, Ken has a dual history. He was here uh, prior to 2016 and then returned in the last couple of years to serve in the lead pastor role. Ken, welcome. We're so glad you're here.
2: Thanks, Rich. Honor to be with you today.
1: Why don't you fill in the picture? Kind of, you know, if people were to come this weekend to Cornerstone, what would they experience? What did I miss there? How do? What's the flavor of the church?
2: Yeah, uh, come as you are church. Uh, um, very dynamic, uh, filled with lots of life, energy, vitality, uh, um, just a uh, church that's fully alive.
1: Love it. So good. Now you, so you had this dual history, you were there pre 2016, and then you came back. Uh, tell us that story. That's kind of an interesting, yeah. oftentimes, you know, you don't, you don't hear that. Do, what was that? What's that piece of the puzzle?
2: Yeah, that, that's one of the God's curve balls. God has a way of mm. being the better storyteller than than my plan. <laughs> so so I actually built a good friendship with Brad Kalajan and he was the planter 30 years ago, 32 years ago. Mm -hmm. Uh, founder, you know, that kind of thing. And so about 15 years into his ministry, uh, he built a relationship with me. I was serving in a church that was growing quite rapidly in mid-Michigan. And uh, he he just said, would you ever consider working here with me? And so as we started to build a friendship, I came on. I was really the first pastor he brought on as the church grew from his basement to, Mm -hmm. you know, into a thousand people. He said, it's probably time that I bring on a teammate. And so (laughs) our thought was that I would be the succession plan. So Mm -hmm. we figured we're moving along and we have, um, we're into, you know, six, eight. Now we're into 10 years of ministry. And Mm -hmm. at that point I had gone off, gotten a doctorate and studied research on multi-site. So then we had planted a church, we planted another church, but we knew we, at three sites uh, total, we thought it's probably time to just kind of take a break, make sure our staff is caught up with all the changes Mm -hmm. and everything. So we weren't looking at doing any more sites and at that point, he was saying, I'm probably looking at five five or six more years until I retire. And I was thinking, okay, if, if we're not going to be planting any more churches, I don't want to just ride the wave and ride on his coattails. I really felt like I needed to take some leadership challenges. Mm-hmm. So Some job offers came, and, and this one in Buffalo came up, and they, a really, really healthy church out um, just south of Buffalo. Mm-hmm. I took that job thinking that was going to be my long-term strategy. They were looking for right. a multi ministry uh, got a chance to get to know a lot of buffalo bills players and you'd be in a really <laughs> healthy area a great great church and so i thought mm. i'm going to be there for 20 years um, mm. and so i uh, about tw- about five four four or five years in he said i'm looking to retire and we were going through the pandemic and it was just a really complicated time and so it allowed all of us to kind of ask the question through the pandemic what's my calling what you know where are we supposed to go in ministry and so uh, we rejoined together as he was going into retirement years. And so, and I heard in succession plan, it's great to have an outsider inside. Mm. So I've actually, uh, you know, I was a, a part of this church for 10 years, helped it grow through a lot of changes together. There's a lot of that backstory. Uh, but then ultimately um, I was still an outsider because I went mm-hmm. off to Buffalo for five years, got some lead pastor in a large church kind of responsibility. So I could come back and spend my time really doing ministry back here in in our home um, home base where my wife grew up and where we kind of grew up in this area. So it kind of felt like this is where we want to do long-term ministry anyway.
1: Mm, I love that. That's so cool. I, yeah, I love that outsider insider. I've used that language in other contexts as well. There is something, if you can find that relational connection, uh, but but you have enough distance to be able to um, you know, see things maybe as they are, which sometimes when we're in it, there's a forest and trees issue. And so love that. There's a ton we could talk about there. Now you you use the P word pandemic. And so, uh, <laughs> you know, I'd love to kind of uh, get some perspective on that at Cornerstone. You know, here we are. It's so funny, right? It's like, I don't know, when will we ever be post pandemic? I'm not sure. Maybe 10 years <laughs> from now, you know, who knows, right? But it's still impacting all our churches, right? Every church leader I talked across the country, you know, it is like this, it's still in the mix. It's obviously not as it was two years ago, but it's still a part of what's happening. Give us the story at Cornerstone. What, you know, how did that impact the church? Obviously it changed. You you ended up changing, coming in at that point. But what, how did you, how do you kind of read that? What, what impact did that have on the church?
2: People are still afraid of people. I'm mm. I'm noticing that. Um, and mm-hmm. so gathering people, I mean, we're in the people gathering business. And so mm-hmm. still, We, you know, we get metrics every week on how many devices are still watching online. We're close to forty to fifty percent of our people are still truly watching online, and that's not; those aren't made-up numbers. Those are factual numbers that we see. Very discouraging, very frustrating. Mm -hmm. But in my opening answer to you, as we're a lively church and dynamic, and and here's why I say I sense Cornerstone is really fully alive right now because we're going after one word engagement. Mm. So while we care about and try to minister to people online, and we're finding mm. ways to engage them, we're looking at who's looking at us. Mm. What the pandemic allowed us to do, and you, you know how God works in this sense of redemption. God can take anything and turn it into a redeeming, resurrected value. Mm. And so we've seen through the pandemic, uh, um, we know um, we've been pruned. And so now we know who's with us. We had people that mm-hmm. got mad when we mandated masks and then when we didn't mandate masks and when we, right. you know, it, 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 you, you couldn't make the right decision, but then yep. the people that stuck with us are really with us. So now we're asking the question, okay, who's looking at us? Well, let's give them all that we've got. And so we're looking for these sparks of, of life and energy and, and we're fanning that into flame. And mm. um, so what we've been actually starting to do is metric engagement. So we've kind mm. of... Pandemic has forced us to change our scorecard. It's mm. not about nickels and noses like it used to be. You know, count counts <laughs> the number true. of people in the seats. You count how much money came in and you're a healthy church. Well, mm-hmm. in some ways, thank God that we're not metricing that way anymore as a sign mm. of a healthy church. And we even knew pre-pandemic that we were, that, that wasn't a healthy metric anyway. Mm-hmm. So it forced us to ask what's a better me- metric. So mm-hmm. we're now experimenting over the last couple of years with the four Ps. Okay. So We're
1: metricing these now. Um, I'd love to hear about them. Let's maybe let's let's run through them quick and then maybe we can we can dive into them. So what are the four? And then we can kind of dive into each.
2: Personal, participate, passion, prepare. Okay. I'll I'll say them quickly with one sentence and then you can ask questions accordingly. But yep personal and think of it like a funnel going upside down. And so the the broadest, the biggest group of people would be the personal. Like I can mm-hmm. have 25 personal conversations with people in any given month where you sit mm-hmm. down and have a cup of coffee and hear their story. Like, I do I know their name? So I'm asking our leadership and our staff, have you had a personal mm-hmm. conversation with a, a numerous amount of people this, this week so that we're really getting to know our larger mm-hmm. congregation? Um, and then participate as you're meeting with them. Are you finding where they're participating in the ministry mm-hmm. from that participation? We find that that's where people find their passion as they serve. They find what they're really in, on fire for. They find out either I love working with kids or I love volunteering here. or I love the, the missional aspect of caring for the outreach ministry here.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, and then
2: the last one prepare is that um, the bottom of the funnel, there's going to be out of all these, a few people, that really are ready to launch something significant. And they're gonna become your next gen leaders, if you will. And Mm. so I'm gonna spend my time preparing these people. And so Mm. every person fits in one of the four Ps. And so as I'm getting to know new people, as I'm getting to know our, uh, hearing where staff are engaging with the congregation, somebody will say, I'm at uh, the fourth P person. I'm I'm preparing Mm. people now. And so Mm -hmm. now there's, I mean, that's what we're metricing be able to encourage engagement in the ministry in ways that okay. we weren't before. Uh, does that make sense?
1: Oh, absolutely. So I love this. And I love that it's driving, you know, like you say, it was been a gift that we're not just, uh, you know, nickels and uh, nickels and noses. It's trying to drive to something deeper. M- let's talk through, maybe start with personal. So how, how does that actually work? You're encouraging your staff to have X number of personal conversations a week. What is it, how does that work? How are you tracking it? What's the reporting look like? Talk, talk us through that. It's
2: literally setting some of our staff free because they used to feel guilty saying, I go out to coffee with these three or four people and I, I would feel like guilty in the past because mm. I'm using the church's dime. I'm being paid. I'm on the clock right now. And we're we're allowing by giving clear metrics in this way, we're giving them permission to say, this is your job. Mm-hmm. What that's changed in some ways is that our office isn't as much of, I mean, there's still a lot of activity around the office and there's a lot of scurrying, but it's mm-hmm. not as Um, busy as it used Mm -hmm. to be. People are out and about connecting with people. And so then each person has to report. And so as we go through our quarterly reports and give people, you know, at times of the review, we say, give me names of people. And so Mm -hmm. it gets gets much more granular. Mm -hmm. And so instead of just looking at mass numbers out there, it's really kind of thinking of the Jethro and Moses kind of model where Moses said, how can I handle all these people? And Jethro says, break them down into just smaller chunks of numbers. And so as you get into the deeper uh, P's, then a personal would be maybe, Hey, just one conversation. And I know this family Mm -hmm. story a little bit, and Mm -hmm. then we have to network. um, And so as a multi-site ministry, we're constantly thinking, how can we net together all of our ministries So they're Mm -hmm. interconnected. So we're constantly emailing one another as a staff and sharing with each other. Hey, I had this personal conversation. And as we entered into our database, we can then look through as I get to know a new family here, I can say, Oh, mm-hmm. they've already been talked to by these two people. So they're getting to be known within the congregation. So we're kind of tr- creating a net this way mm-hmm. we have a personal conversation, jot these, inf- this information down. And, you know, CCB is the format that we use. Uh, yeah. I love
1: that. I, yeah. I love that. And we, and we've done a similar thing pre pandemic with particularly our campus staffs so the people that were in our locations where there would be an expectation. You're having an X number of one-on-one conversations during the week. I I love that. But I love the drive of saying, hey, we're we're not just having personal conversations. We're trying to move people to participation. I would imagine at each one of these transitions, there's like, you know, there's gotta be a certain amount of action. I I can kind of see that one. I'm having conversation. Okay, now maybe I've talked with this, this family two or three times. Okay, now I need to really be finding out, okay, how are you actually engaging? Is that how this works? Help me understand that.
2: Yeah, exactly. And so then you're um, literally watching these people that, because we have to realize this is a another way of looking at discipleship. If somebody mm-hmm. starts to engage and they start to serve, there's something happening in their soul that says, I, I want to help serve in different ways. And mm-hmm. if you watch them start to correct things, which by the way, anger to us is a good thing. When somebody's angry,
0: mm-hmm. it's not going <laughs> to be afraid of
2: because anger <laughs> is kind of passion. So yes. now with this metric, we're saying, hey, that's just proof that they're on level three of pa- of the third P of mm. Pat. Um, mm. their, their anger about that is just trying to improve our system, which let them down. And so mm. it doesn't create this chaos um, within our staff anymore when there's tension in from within the congregation. Um, apathy is our bigger fear, frankly. Right. And yes. so as you, as you watch this play out, somebody starts to participate, we go, ah, wonderful, wonder, do, do you see any passion come out of them where they're a little bit grumpy about this kind of stuff over here? And so mm-hmm. it's in in many ways, much more conversational in ways than we have been before. Instead of just treating people like a number, we mm-hmm. we really get to know their heart in so many ways.
1: Talk me through the participation. You've set up participation as being a volunteer thing, jumping on a team. Is that intentional or was that just an example? Talk us through, is that kind of the preferred course that you're kind of seeing people take directions towards getting in, you know, onto, into participating in the church?
2: You know that when, when you're, when your ministry is growing and people are coming in from, from different avenues, you do want to take some time to vet them and get to know Mm -hmm. them. We, our definition of leadership is really my job and really our staff's job is to give authority to the right people at the right time. Mm-hmm. So, um, if you give people authority at the, you know, at the wrong time, they're sometimes more passionate about something out over else over here and they end up, they'll end up not being as, um, you know, engaged in the ministry because, um, they, they just, um, Oh, for whatever reason, God, trapped by, you know, just the busyness of life or whatever, and mm-hmm. you just didn't take the time to get to know them, or they may be just a toxic person. And right. um, so this allows us to take some time to just engage get to know them a lot, a lot more before, you know, as you watch them show some passion, then you actually start preparing them. Yeah. Uh, you need some time to do that. And mm-hmm. so that's really um, the clearest way to say it. It might help. I'm, I have so many uh, other ways to look at this, the five C's, I not to give you a whole bunch of acronyms, I know that gets annoying, but
1: No, it's this, good, it's
2: for, good. For memory's sake, mm-hmm. um, as we're watching people participate, we think of the five C's, and you've probably heard of the three C's, we've added two more to them, but mm-hmm. um, they're around this. Does this person show Christ-likeness? Mm-hmm. Does this person have a calling mm-hmm. to this ministry? Does mm-hmm. this person have good chemistry with mm-hmm. people, you know, people skills? Mm-hmm. Do they have good competency and do they have great courage? Mm. A lot of times, um, you know, they get a voice from the Lord gives them a prompting and then they just don't have the courage to say yes to it. Mm -hmm. And so I'd say, okay, would we want to give them full authority? If we're going to give authority to the right people at the right time, then they Mm -hmm. need to have in many ways, either four or five of these C's. I, I find like calling, for example, they're sometimes more called to their, you know, the PTC or, you know, maybe their cottage or some, Mm -hmm. you know, retirement plan that they're going after. They're not really called to the ministry. So am I going to give them full authority if they don't have really all five of these C's? I find if you compromise on that, and the only way to find out about the five C's is to take your time to really study them over time. Mm -hmm. So we find participation is a great way to get to know people over time. So Mm -hmm. like, well, the front door, you probably heard this a lot with and I've heard this actually on your podcast with um, the front door hospitality is a great way to just get somebody in and plugged in and connected um, and get to know them over this time. Mm-hmm. And then, then they say, oh, but I can't do it on this Sunday and I can't do it on this Sunday. And but then they say, but I want to launch this over here. And you say, well, they, they really haven't shown a great uh, um, engagement of ministry. Mm-hmm. Here where we can really mm-hmm. trust them to give them full authority yet. Mm hmm. If that, if that makes sense,
1: it makes total sense. I, I love that uh, that fifth sea of courage. I think particularly in this post pandemic world. I think one I, literally just earlier today, I was talking to a church leader about you know we we're just reflecting, and you know, this person was reflecting on their own kind of journey, and they were saying you know the thing they were praying for was more courage in this season. That they're like, hey, I they're like I don't have any question on what I need to do. That's not the question. I know what I need to do. The question is, do I have the courage to actually do it, to actually you know, yes. push forward? And I think our churches, I think that's just true. And the more our communities become more and more post-Christian or maybe even pre-Christian, um, man, we need courageous leaders. I just love that. We do. Yeah. yeah certainly
2: certainly. To, to watch people step up and, and truly say, um, not just complain about it, but actually be willing to help solve it with you. A lot of times Mm. they sit back passively and they say, I wish the church would do this. I wish the pastor would do this. I wish, you know, Um, And but I love it when people have the courage to be able to say, but I want to help. I want to help you and join in with you.
1: Love it. I I do want to ask you, we had talked earlier about before the call about some research um, that I want to make sure we get to. But one of the things I want to underline for folks that are listening in, um, we I've seen this anecdotally time and again in churches. We saw it at our church. We've seen it at our church that um when people come into our church and get connected you know we often give them multiple pathways you say get in a team get on you know get in in a group and on a team Um, and we've noticed that people who first join a group are less likely to get on a team but actually if you go the other way around if people first join a team they're more likely then to get in a group that there seems to be a sticking point that that if we if we move people to mission first, they actually drive deeper into the community rather than, uh, you know, the other way around there other than going. And I'm not saying groups are bad. Don't don't save your cards <laughs> and letters, friends. I'm not saying that. I just I'm pointing out that we're seeing, you know, some of that kind of evidence. I'd love you to comment on that. What do, what do you think? I about have, that?
2: I have found that to be absolutely true. There's something about how, we call it around here, the great question. Jesus actually coaches us on how to be great. So you want to be great in life? He literally says, if you want to be great, serve. And so the great Mm. question around Cornerstone is, how can I help? And Mm. so um, we don't want people just to volunteer because they're trying to please me. We want them Mm. to volunteer because they genuinely know I come alive most when I serve. And so that really fits with what we're trying to move people into, which is engagement in the ministry. Because when they engage in that way, boy, uh, it's amazing. If you get into a group, it's oftentimes, and again, I don't want to bring cards or letters your way. Maybe don't give them (laughs) my information. They can come to you. But when you get in a group, it can sometimes be selfish because it's, you know, what what can you do for me? I need you to to pray for all that stuff is good. I need to be cared for, prayed for, covered Mm -hmm. in that. Um, But in terms of engagement when people start serving and they, they just, Jesus said, you will become great. You want to be great? Serve Mm -hmm. other people. Mm -hmm. And so you, some, something happens in us spiritually that you come alive in that. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. I I love
1: that. The great question. That's good. I wrote that down. That's, I'm going to steal that. That's really great. (laughs) Uh, Tell me, talk about this research. You know, we chatted a little bit about that, uh, that that's impacted your leadership.
2: Yeah, years ago, uh, when I was doing some research on multi-site, I read a research um, by Roger Fink out of Penn State, and he was just asking the question, not even from an ecclesiological, not even a church standpoint. He was just asking sociologically um, about a group of people. Um, We've just gone through a a disaffiliation process with the United Methodist Church, but we have a United Methodist roots. We now Mm -hmm. are a non-denominational church. But in there, um, he was finding that the Methodist Church grew from 2.5% of the population base when our country was founded in 1776. One in 50 people were Methodist when, wow. when um, our country was founded. And
1: mm-hmm. then it
2: grew to one in three, just 70 years mm-hmm. later. So by 1851, one in three people were Methodist that associated in in any kind of Christianity. And so Roger Fink saw this study and he said, how come the Methodists aren't one in three today? And so he, he did some heavy research looking at what they did. And he came up with this one statement of finding what happened because the Methodist church grew so rapidly. And then in 1850, it started shrinking. And ever since then, you haven't seen as much influence. And this is what he said, and this changed my ministry. He said, the dramatic metric rise of the Methodists was short-lived. It's instructive to note that the Methodists began to slump at precisely the same time that their amateur clergy were replaced by professionals who claimed Episcopal authority Mm -hmm. over their congregations. Mm -hmm. In other words, the pastors got in the way. So we were a grassroots movement of all these lay people that were engaged in the ministry. And they were saying, I have been given authority. I'm able to step into ministry and my life matters. And what happened then in 1851, we voted to say, you can only preach if you're ordained. You've Mm. been to school or you've been trained properly. Mm. And we went from this movement to a denominational monument that stopped the flow of the spirits, um, really anointing over the denomination in some ways. And wow. so when I read that, I said, I I never want to get in the way again. And frankly, I have been. I've been the spotlights and Dave Ferguson was a, a real strong help for me when I was going through my study of multi-site and all of that. And um his concept of Hero Maker is really um spot on with what this research actually shows too, where mm-hmm. it we can't get in the way. Our job is to get under and serve the Ephesians 4 model of how can I give authority to and to serve you know as an apostle prophet um you know shepherd um evangelist and teacher as Mm -hmm. as one of these leaders step up to give authority away to equip the saints for the work of ministry um it becomes a movement then and Mm -hmm. so our goal here at cornerstone is to help 100 of our people to find their calling in ministry Mm -hmm. and so if you're a part of this church Our goal is to help you find your calling. And when that happens, then we're going to give you empowerment and authority so that you can move forward. And then we become a movement and not this, you know, top down, if Ken says it, we believe it, that settles it, um, personality driven church, but to really be a servant driven church. We've even changed in light of this research, we've changed our, we call it SLT or a vision Mm -hmm. team, but our Mm -hmm. senior leadership team. Um mm-hmm. the Harvard Business Review kind of teaches that kind of stuff but we changed it from senior leadership team to servant leadership team. Mm-hmm. So oh that's good. Our, our core leaders are here to say how can we first serve the rest of the staff and then how can the staff serve the rest of the congregation so mm-hmm. that we can help people find their calling and and their their real passion in ministry.
1: I love that. That's that's so good. And you know we've we see that in churches oftentimes um, when they plateau or in decline, actually one of the signs of that at a you know so that's at like a movement level, but at an individual church level, actually ironically there's this weird thing that happens where churches are like they're maybe they're starting to slow down, and so then the leadership says, well, what we need to do is hire people. Let's hire let's hire another youth pastor. Let's hire somebody else to do this role. Let's hire somebody to do that, and and actually that's counterproductive. We see that time yeah. and again that actually. A uh, more staff per 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 attendee or per you know people in your church actually is an indicator of lack of growth, not um, not actually not actually spurring growth. There was a church um, just recently. I was um, was a part of this conversation where they were kind of picking apart the. It was a sad conversation. It was like picking apart the decline of a church, and there was like a a ten year slide. It was fascinating. It's a very large church, five thousand people, and it's it shrunk back down to. You know, I think they're they're sub one thousand, probably five hundred people, something like that. And they had a ten year slide where they they were ten years they had they didn't grow, but what did grow was their staff. Their staff doubled in that ten year asked. period. They, and and um,
2: I was going to ask, they must have just kept hiring and hiring yes. and hiring for for to do the work of the people. Yes, unfortunate, so unfortunate.
1: Yeah, and that's it. It's a temptation. It is a. You know, and and you can see this in, um, there's lots of examples of this, but this is a, what a vivid example from this, you know, research from Fink for sure. Uh, That's, yeah, that's, that's good. That's vivid uh, for sure. So when you think about kind of, so I love this, you're pushing your people towards engagement, I love the five P's. I love a good alliteration. Five or four P's and five C's. That's fantastic. <laughs> when you look to the future, how does this, uh, you know, how do you think this is going to impact your thinking? When you look o- up over the horizon, what's it kind of changing in the way you're thinking about the future?
2: It's it's hard, Rich, because I'm a control freak. I'm a firstborn. Mm-hmm. I, you know, my dad was an air traffic controller, so I was trained oh, wow. in control, and so. I, I this is contrary to everything that i'm wired to do which is to control and be you know that that moses model of you know mm-hmm. and it's just so discouraging because i know how to do it right and anytime i give authority mm-hmm. they do it wrong they don't do it mm-hmm. my way and mm-hmm. um, but I was set for years ago um, as I started to wrestle with this, because I was in a church that grew many years ago in a small church, that mid-Michigan church I was talking about. It it grew and then it shrank after I left. And I, I cried for several years as I watched all these people that I loved and baptized and walked mm-hmm. in ministry with. And then they faded away from the ministry. I built the church around me. And so yeah. God finally set me free and said, you were trying to control it. And, you know, Jesus is the head of the church not the senior leader. And so when you can get that out of your mind. Well, I went to this uh, right around that time I learned from Rick Warren. He said somebody was was at a conference where he was speaking and somebody said, Rick, I don't like everything happening at your church. And Rick said the best answer. He said, I don't like everything happening at my church. And that set me free. And it showed me and modeled for me that when you let go of control, it's going to look different because you think Mm -hmm. you do it all right. And I think my way is best. But you know what? People have their own callings as well. And frankly, they will make it better because they're Mm -hmm. going to bring a passion that you can't because you're burned out. So Mm -hmm. if you hold on to control and say, I want the church to look just like this and I'm 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 the senior leader. And it's my job to make sure all the parameters are in really great shape you gotta let go of that. And so what does the future look like? It's beautiful because I wake up each day saying, God, how are you gonna surprise me with somebody that gets a new holy disturbance within the congregation, this new passion welling up inside of them. And then they they come alive in this and they're gonna take the church in a direction I never would have
0: hmm. had I not yeah. had the
2: courage to get out of the way and to to, in many ways, just give that authority to the hmm. right people, the five C type of people that are ready to walk in, in a humble way of leadership. So as I think about the future, I like, I can't wait to see what this church evolved into <laughs> in light sure. of the people God sends
1: us. Yeah. Love that. You know, w- one of the things like in a, when I first started in ministry and, you know, you and I are a similar, uh, vintage, you know, there were these churches out there that had the, they would, they'd brag about it. They'd say 110 different ministries. They would be like, we have all these different things. And then and there was a part of that that was crazy, right? Like a part of it was like, okay, this is like we're running in a gajillion different directions, and it was it felt unfocused. Um, but it did work in the sense of it engaged a ton of people. I know, kind of post Eric Geiger and Tom Rainer's mm-hmm. book Simple Church, it it it. Um, one of the things we learned was, wow, if if we could narrow down on fewer things we we'd be more effective. We could we could reach more people, but I, I do think logic.
2: that I get the logic of that. I do. Yes.
1: But one of the things to your to your point, one of the things that was is probably a negative outcome of that, which wasn't their intention, was it fe- it fed all of our controlling instincts. It fed our instincts to be like, "Hey, we just justified it as simple church, simple church, simple church, simple church. Yes. How do you balance those two off? How do we, because I don't think we'd want to go, I, I could be wrong. I don't think what you're saying is let's go back to the 112 ministries thing. Let's get back to tons of different stuff. Right. Uh, but, but, but we do want to empower people more. Help me understand the nuance of those. Well,
2: it's, um, um, I, I was all in on simple church. We, we mm-hmm. actually followed that model for a while because of the control given it You just nailed it, Rich. My, my control control to nature, loved that. Um, However, however, it was going contrary to them, this research that just right after I started studying Simple Church, I read this from Roger Fink. And so they were diametrically opposed. Mm -hmm. And so I think where you're getting at, where's the messy middle in there? And Mm -hmm. I think Mm -hmm. the word messy has to be in that. Like it is a messy middle, but ultimately I would would rather err on the side of the word yes than Mm -hmm. to err on the side of the word no. And so I I loved, um, I think it was Andy Stanley who said, I'd rather say wow first before the how and Mm. the controlling nature in me wants to say how, okay. Somebody comes to me with a passion and I'd say, okay, here's all the parameters. How are you going to pull it off in a church like this, where we have a limited marketing budget and we've got a limited this staff and how are, how are, but if you start with wow and say, wow, this is your calling, your passion. I'm going to say yes to you. If you come Mm. to me, I'm going to say yes, but I'm going to say yes with a hundred questions. Mm. This, this will probably drop yeah, one more acronym, the word fan. I, <laughs> I'm sorry about this, but everybody no, has a spark, in, a spark inside of them. And it's my job to fan that into mm-hmm. flame. Mm-hmm. And so that means I'm going to meet with you face to face. I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions and I'm going to network you with people who have a similar passion. So I'm gonna That's fan good. you. So we're constantly as a staff saying, how are you, who have you fanned today? And as you fan them, they can fit in one of the four P's, you know, and, you know, so it all kind of fits, but just trying to get clarity. My, I feel like mm-hmm. my job is to bring clarity to our team and make sure we're all pointed in the same direction. What mm-hmm. happens then is we have these guardrails and then there's lots and lots of room for people to come alive in their passions. Most mm-hmm. of the time, their passion, as you fan them, it'll be something they launch in their neighborhood. It start. They'll launch mm-hmm. it in their workplace. They'll, they'll launch it outside of the church or they'll launch it actually a part of another ministry around the community. Instead of fighting mm-hmm. with the churches, again, a blessing of the pandemic, we realize churches need one another. We need to stop competing mm-hmm. with one another. Yeah. So as you fan somebody, you start realizing, hey, they fit there. So you could say yes to everybody. Yes, with these hundred questions. And so then say, do you have a leadership team that would do this? Do you have a strategy um, in which you're going to market this over time? So they answer these questions. It may take them nine months to a year to actually answer all the questions, but they have something passionately that they're going after to Mm -hmm. launch it effectively. So my job to serve them is to ask them the right questions to help them to succeed rather than just have me over them, kind of patting them on the head saying, here, I want you to do this and I control them hmm. So that's that's a difference that's in philosophy, good. but there's a me- that's a messy middle in there. But yes, holding on to it loosely rather than holding on to it with great control that I'm going to say no to most things.
1: Right? Yeah, love it. Love it. That's I, I love that, you know, fan face to face, ask questions, network with others. I just love that. I think I think that's really clear. And the idea of ask lots of questions yeah. That's our job. Like that's, and we, and we're not, we're not positioning ourselves as like, Hey, I'm the, the, either the rubber stamp that lets you do it or the, or the gatekeeper that's just going to you know close it off. It's like, Hey, let me help you process this. It almost feels like Ephesians four, like our job is to maybe equip people. And like, <laughs> it's a very novel idea. Like it's a very, very new Testament. So oh, just well love that.
2: it. So good.
1: <laughs> well, this has been a great conversation. Anything else you'd like to say, just as we wrap up today's uh, discussion?
2: Yeah, I honestly, I love your on seminary podcast around the idea of saying, okay, what would you if I could go back to seminary 20 some Mm -hmm. years ago, I would literally say, I wish I had been trained in how to give authority away to the right people at the right time. If I had just gotten that one concept, but I, but of course, School of Hard Knocks is just, um, you learn a lot. So over the last (laughs) 10 years, you know, I first 10 years, I learned all this the last 17 years, I've been able to practice it and live it out. So School of Hard Knocks taught me, but um, that is a lesson I wish. If we can get pastors to get out of the way and mm-hmm. to really believe in the calling of the priesthood of all believers, um, mm-hmm. it, it's not just a cliche set at conferences. It is mm-hmm. the secret sauce to watching us have an influence in this culture
1: for Christ. That's yeah, so good. Well, that's great. So where do we want to send people online, Ken, if they want to track with you, if they want to track with the church, uh, if people are interested, I'd encourage them to, I think, you know, it'd yeah, be a great church for you to yeah, follow along. Cor-
2: yeah. CornerstoneMI.org. Uh, mm-hmm. just, uh, check out our church. Um, and, you know, I'd love to interact with them and anybody have any questions, I'd love to, to care for them in that way.
1: That's have great. Thanks so much. Thanks so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Rich. Thanks for tuning in to the Unseminary podcast.
0: Drop by unseminary.com for more helpful resources for you and your team. There you will find articles, online courses, and so much more. Unseminary, stuff you wish they taught in seminary. Presented by CDF Capital. Visit them at cdf.capital forward slash unseminary.